But one of the things that often happens in my life, and I don't know if it happens in yours, is if we're not careful, the new year quickly becomes the old year. And I mean that in two ways, is the excitement that we have about it wanes, but then it just is we slip into previous patterns of the way that we lived. One of the things that I want to do in 2022, and one of the things that I want our church to do, is to live passionately devoted. So over the next two or three weeks, we're going to talk about that individually. What does it look like for us individually to live passionately devoted? And then we're going to talk after that about what does it look like for us as a church to do that. I want to start today with this story in Luke chapter 7. Look at verse 36. One of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now just real quickly, who were the Pharisees? They're religious leaders, right? They're people that were leaders in their religious community. They would have been the ones that knew the law the best, that were trying to live the law out the best. They had ideas about how that exactly was. Paul describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees over in the New Testament. He's talking about his conversion. And they would have been the ones that would have been seen, at least by the community, as one of, if not the group of religious leaders that had the answers about what God was doing and where God was moving and what God was in the process of doing among his people. And so when Jesus is there, this is in the midst of his ministry. It's fairly early in his ministry, but he's starting to develop crowds. He's starting to see people come to him. He's starting to have these uh, teaching sessions. Things are happening around him. And one of these Pharisees, we don't know when this is. We don't know what kind of was happening around. But the Pharisee says, I'm going to invite Jesus over. Now, in the New Testament, those of us that have read the Bible a lot kind of see the Pharisees as the bad guys. Right? Right? They're the ones that always question Jesus. They're the ones that trap Jesus. They're the ones that lead the the charge at the end of the books, at the end of the Gospels, to arrest Jesus. But at this point, I'm not so sure that there are completely like, like sinister tones in what he's doing. I think that maybe, perhaps, this religious leader is just saying, we need to see what this guy's all about. Now, possibly that's to put him in his place. Possibly that's to question him, to trick him, to get him in a place that he won't be able to answer a question. Possibly to say, hey, listen, you guys have all started following this guy. He's not all that he's cracked up to be. We're not really sure, but what we know is he's sitting at the table. Now, it's important that it tells us he's reclined at the table because we've talked about this before with Lord's Supper and even in passages like this, they would not have sat in chairs to eat. We think of eating as the thing that you're sitting in a chair at a table or today's day sitting on the couch or in the recliner with the TV on. But they would sit at a table with their chairs or not with the chairs in their day. They didn't have chairs. So they would lean on one elbow, eat with the other, and they would put their feet out behind them, almost kind of in a laying down posture position. So you have to see that picture there. So Jesus is invited to the Pharisee's house. He entered the house and he reclined at the table. By the way, one of the things I love about Jesus, just a little side here, is it doesn't matter who invites him to dinner. He says yes. Right? Sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees. When you think about all the people that Jesus ate with in the midst of the Gospels, it is a wide variety of people. He definitely didn't have a tight-knit social dinner club that he went with. Verse 37 says this. And a woman... In the town, who was a sinner, 
found out Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her hair, I mean with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. So here's the picture. They're eating. Now, most of the time in that day and time, there would have been kind of an outdoor place to eat. They may have been sitting kind of there at a portico. There would have been a covering. But it would also have been a place, the Pharisees would often host these meals where anybody could come so that they could have dialogue with one another and their invited guests about religious ideas and how to live for the Lord. Almost like a, a modern-day podcast, if you will. Interviews happening, and there I don't think they had sponsorships back then, but they are there. They have pot, this, this interview going on back and forth. And in the midst of that, someone from the crowd sees Jesus, knows Jesus, recognizes Jesus as woman and she comes into the place where they're eating. Now, it tells us in scripture that this woman was someone who was a sinner. Now, the original language description of the word sinner there means sinner, but it also means like a really bad sinner. Like notorious sinner, well-known sinner. Most scholars agree that what's happening here is that this woman makes her living through the use of her body. And she comes into this moment and begins to cry and to wash and to perfume the feet of Jesus. Now, just so you understand, in our day in society, that would be weird. Right. If you were at a dinner party and some lady came in and started washing the feet of someone there with their tears and hair and putting oil on their feet, that would be strange. Correct. If it's not, you've got some crazy dinner parties going on. Okay. In their day and time, it wouldn't have been strange. It would have been indecent. First of all, a woman coming into the presence of the Pharisees and this religious teacher would not have been allowed. But more than that, women did not let their hair down anywhere in public. The only place they would let their hair down was in the privacy of their own home, in the presence of their husband. And so when she comes with her hair down and begins to rub his feet... With her hair, it would have been a suggestive posture that would have been in that place. And the people around the table would not have been, wow, that's weird. They would have been aghast, like stunned, offended. And that's what you see in the Pharisee says in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, or in the original language, he said in his own mind, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. 
Now, what's interesting about that particular passage of Scripture is we just kind of read over that passage. And a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, the emotion of what's happening there is not really in my reading. I just kind of read it. But in my translation, in the Christian Standard Version that you have in the Christian Standard Bible, what you have up there, you see at the end of She's a Sinner, there is a particular punctuation mark. What is that? That's an exclamation point. We were all taught in English that if there's an exclamation point at the end of a sentence, you don't read it. She's a sinner. It's emphatic, right? It's got emotion behind it. You can almost hear the internal dialogue of this Pharisee. Well, if he were who he says he is, he would know beyond a shadow of a doubt who this, I can't, who this woman is. She's a sinner. And he's letting her touch his feet. Sometimes, uh, <laughs> and this would be interesting, that when we don't say words, but you know that emotion that rises within you when anger is coming or just, you know, it's almost like there's a temperature gauge in there, like just rising heat. And you can feel the boil coming in this man. Now, there's a little interesting thing that happens here, because again, to whom did the Pharisee say this? Himself, in his own mind, is what the original seems to suggest. And he says, basically, Jesus isn't a prophet because he should know. But then I love verse 40. Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. The idea is, original kind of translations, understanding of this says the idea that knowing what Simon was thinking, Jesus said to him. So Simon's questioning whether or not Jesus is a prophet and Jesus is reading his mind. Simon says, bring it, let's go. That's the Lyle translation. Say it, teacher. And Jesus gives this quick little parable. That's a great little parable. Proves the point. Jesus is a master teacher. We know that. Verse 41. A creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So just so you know, 500 verse 50, 500 would have been about a year and a half's worth of salary. 50 would have been um, a couple of months. So one guy owes um, 18 months, another guy owes a couple of months, 10 times the amount. In today's terms, and it's not a, not a, it's not accurate completely, completely like this, but you're looking at somewhere in the one guy owed 75,000 and the other guy owed 7,500. Verse 42. And since neither could pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered begrudgingly, I think, I guess the one who he forgave more. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Another little detail that I love in verse 44 says, turning to the woman, he looks at the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? That's a phrase that's used in our society some. It kind of means the same thing here. Like we talk about whether or not we are being seen. That means being understood, being recognized on the level that we are. He says, Simon, do you see her? I don't mean do you know her presence is here. I don't mean are you offended by her being here. I mean do you see her? 
I entered your house, he says, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here's the, here's the scene again. And then we're going to talk about three ways you can recognize whether or not you are pursuing Jesus passionately. A man that should have known what to look for and what God's anointed would look like and what it would look like when the Messiah had entered the world because he studied his entire life. And a woman who had lived her life completely apart from the ways of God. They're in the same situation, the same setting, and one responds with no passion and no desire and misses an opportunity. And the other lavishes her love upon Jesus. In fact, there are three things that this woman does or shows that ought to be a part of the life of every single follower of Jesus. And the first one is this, undignified worship. This woman walks in, lets her hair down, literally, and begins to worship Jesus. In fact, there are scholars that talk about people that have studied this that say that you can almost get the sense that the closer she gets to Jesus, the more unworthy she feels and the more her sin begins to weigh upon her because the sinfulness of her heart is in contrast to the perfection of the Savior. And as she gets closer and closer and closer to Him, the tears begin to fall. Things begin to happen. What I think is interesting in this passage is it doesn't say she cried a little bit. It says that her tears were sufficient to wash the feet of Jesus. She takes her hair and wipes his feet. She breaks a jar of perfume. We'll talk about that in a minute. And pours it on his feet to anoint it. And in that moment, she cares not at all about what the people of the town or the religious leaders in her community think about her. Her only priority in that moment is to express her love and her adoration of her Savior. And in that society, it would have been completely undignified. There would have been lots of, can't believe it. I mean, can you see, did you see what she did? Like, while it's happening, lots of those Baptist whispers, you know what I'm talking about? There were probably some prayer requests, well, we need to pray for her. Because she, that's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. Sometimes what happens for those of us that are followers of Jesus is we allow our pride and our desire to make sure that we're acceptable and dignified and that everything is put together. We allow that to prevent us from truly letting go and being in the presence of Jesus and allowing ourselves to worship him. I'm not just talking about in a corporate worship setting. This wasn't in a corporate worship setting. This was at a meal. But she is so desiring to give Jesus all that she can that she just lets it go. 
She weeps over her own sinfulness. She weeps over the perfection of Jesus. She is willing to debase herself in that moment in the eyes of the people around that table because she doesn't care what they think. I've used this example many times, and I think about it every time I think of the word undignified. But I love it. I love that moment in the Old Testament when David recovers the Ark of the Covenant, and he comes dancing down the street, and he gets back home upstairs. And you know he is so excited about the accomplishment that has happened. He has restored the Ark of the Covenant to the place that it is supposed to be. God has shown his presence is with them. He is over the moon about all that God is doing. And he walks into his wife, and his wife says, Well, I hope you're proud of yourself. Making a fool of yourself in front of all those young women out there in the street dancing like that. Hope you're proud of yourself. And and David in that moment's response is, I will be even more undignified in praising my Lord. What's preventing you from completely giving your life In worship to the Lord. I don't know what's on your list. But I can almost guarantee that for a lot of people in this room. One of the things on your list. Is a list of rules. About what should and shouldn't be done. And a desire not to let yourself be seen in a negative light. This woman didn't care. She just worshipped. Second thing that we see in her life that ought to be part of every believer's life and ought to be part of yours going forward in 2022 is enthusiastic service. Now, this is seen in the contrast between her and Simon. He says, Simon, when I came in, you didn't welcome me at all. The way they did that was with a kiss. You didn't welcome me with a kiss. You didn't offer me to, to, to have my feet washed. You didn't, you didn't do any of the things that a host is supposed to do. And she can't stop serving in this moment. We've talked about this before, but foot washing was a major important thing that happened in the life of the people around that time, especially around meals. They walked up and down the streets in open-toed sandals on streets shared with animals. Their feet would have been absolutely nasty. And offering just an opportunity not to wash their feet, but just to have a bucket to be able to wash their feet was common courtesy that everybody wanted and was something that was expected for all hosts for their guests. And Jesus says, you didn't even have time, Simon, to do something like that for me no water for my feet no kiss to welcome me into the place you didn't anoint my head which sometimes done sometimes that was done because you often you're getting ready to eat and there would have been smells on the body of somebody that didn't bathe on a regular occasion the odor of the perfume helped to mitigate that he says you didn't want to do any of those things for me and she can't stop Here's the reality is when you begin to truly serve and worship the Lord and live your life passionately devoted to him, you want to serve wherever you can, whenever you can. And you don't ask the question, do I have to? You ask the question, where can I? Wanted to just serve, do. Recognize the needs of other people. She saw right away that Jesus had this issue, that this had not been done for him. And she wanted to take care of that because you recognize the needs of other individuals and you want to serve them as God has served you. So there's undignified worship, enthusiastic service, and then the last thing is extravagant generosity. 
for extraordinary generosity. One of the things that's kind of mentioned in here is perfume in an alabaster jar. And the way they would have made perfume in that day, they would not have had lids to screw on and screw off. They would have sealed this. And the only way truly to get that perfume out would have been to break the alabaster jar and to spill the entire perfume. And just so you know, according to scholars and things that I've read, that an alabaster jar of perfume like this that she just put on the feet of Jesus would have cost around the equivalent of a year's salary. Thousands of dollars in our day. In fact, in other accounts of this story, the disciples, particularly Judas, gets upset. Do you remember that? He says, we could have used that money to help a lot of people. We could have fed the poor. We could have done that. And she wasn't thinking about that in that moment. She's thinking, I'm bringing my absolute best and I am giving it to Jesus in this moment. And if we're going to live for Jesus, passionately devoted to him in 2022, we're going to live with extraordinary generosity to the needs in our community, to the people around you, to your family members and those that you know, and yes, to your church as you give. And as we as a church have a responsibility to be extraordinarily generous to the community around us, to give in the name of Jesus. A life that is passionate about Jesus will be marked by undignified worship, enthusiastic service, and extraordinary generosity. My fear is that a lot of us have become like Simon the Pharisee. Now, we've got our rules and our regulations, and when anything breaks into that, we're not prepared to move forward with the movement of God. One of the things, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the wise men, or actually last week about the wise men. One of the things that always intrigued me about the Christmas story, and it's true in the story of Jesus in those last weeks of ministry and all of that, is the people that should have recognized the movement of God were the ones that missed it. The Pharisees had studied about the Messiah and he was coming and how he was coming and what it would look like. They should have known when Jesus showed up and instead they missed it. This guy has the Son of God at his table. This guy has God Almighty in the flesh at his table. And he's concerned about the rules that he has to follow. He missed it. If you ask any church member, what would you do if Jesus walked into the room? Oh, we all have the right answers for that. We would, you know, we, we worship him. We celebrate him. We want to give him a hug. We want to be around him. We want to be with him. These guys should have known that he was there and they missed it. And I'm afraid there are a lot of us as believers in 2022 living in America right here in the Bible Belt that we're so used to how church is supposed to operate and how life is supposed to operate that if God really wants to move in and among us, and God is moving in and around us. God hasn't stopped moving at all. But we may miss it because we're not ready for it. And we've got our list of things that are the way God moves and the way he doesn't. And if it doesn't line up with that, we are out. And the most important thing about the little parable he taught that Simon never gets, that you and I have to get if we're going to have a year that is dedicated to following Jesus, is that in the parable he says, he says one owes 75,000, one owes 7,500. The money's not really important because there was that little detail in there that says, and neither one could pay. And so he's not saying to Simon, you're okay, you owe a little less. What he's saying is, both of you are in the same situation because neither one of you can pay the debt of your sin. 
It doesn't matter how many rules you follow and how many times you go to church and how many years you've been a part of a church. It doesn't matter in those moments. You're not earning your salvation or your place in the kingdom of God or even your standing with God. Your standing with God, if you are righteous, is only because the blood of Jesus Christ has saved you. And he says, yes, she's more grateful because she realizes how far she has to come in order to be saved by my grace. You, on the other hand, don't realize it. And at the foot of the cross, there is no good and bad, no righteous and sinner from our own standing. It is all the same. We can't pay it. And in order for us to pursue Jesus in 2022, one of the things that we have to realize is we are all still people daily in need of a Savior. And I don't mean he has to save you again and again. I just mean without Jesus, we have no hope. And what it basically comes down to in this story is that the woman had a desperation for Jesus because she recognized her need. And Simon did not. He thought he was okay on his own. And in the year 2022, I want to live with an always at the top understanding of my desperation for Jesus. Let's pray together.